Hello, I'm Ryan Boll, a Middle East and North Africa analyst at Stratfor, a rain company. This podcast is brought to you by Stratfor Worldview, rain's premier digital publication for objective geopolitical intelligence and analysis. Special subscription rates for podcast listeners can be found at stratfor.com slash podcast offer. Welcome to the Essential Geopolitics Podcast from Stratfor, a rain company. I'm Emily Donahue. What an election. For nearly a week while the world watched, the United States teetered between vastly different visions for its future. Despite GOP-backed challenges to its results, Joe Biden is considered president-elect of the United States. Joining me to discuss some of the geopolitical implications and changing relationships that would entail is Stratfor Senior Global Analyst Matthew Bay. Hi, Matthew. Hello, Emily. So what will former Vice President Biden's election mean for U.S.-China relations moving forward? So the United States and China are still going to have a very contentious relationship regardless of how Biden starts to be aggressive or not against China. Um, President Trump's hardline China position was really years in the making in the sense of the way that the U.S. and China relationship had evolved. You look at China's economic rise, its military rise in the South China Sea, etc. The U.S. and China were on the path to some sort of a confrontation. doesn't mean it has to be violent or anything like that, um, but that kind of uh, groundwork was already set. Um, so we would expect Biden to, for, for a number of reasons, to still have that same kind of an aggressive strategy against China, trying to limit China's rise for geopolitical purposes, also um, try to reform or shape Chinese, Chinese um, actions in the region on human rights issues, on uh, military issues in the South China Sea, etc. Um, so we would expect a, a Biden administration to, to still have that hardline China policy, but it would become more multilateral in many ways. So it wouldn't be um, as willing to use, for example, unilateral tariffs against China in the China-U.S. trade war. It wouldn't try to do a lot of things through just unilateral action using sanctions policy, things like that. Um, it would try to um, really build an international coalition against China um, and try to, to negotiate with U.S. allies against China. Now, will that be more effective um, than the Trump administration? It, it's unclear at this point. Um, China would probably view a, a global push against it as an existential threat. So it would probably take an even harder position in some in some ways. One thing to think about is that the Biden administration wouldn't really be prioritizing tariffs as a tool to use against China. Um, so we could see some sort of level of negotiations over the the, the trade deal. That being said, um, it'll be very difficult for Biden to um, accept, say, for example, lower purchases of, U- of U.S. goods by China or accept no more significant concessions from China on structural issues like its industrial policy um, because he would be opening himself up to uh, accusations that the Biden administration got a worse deal than the Trump administration did with China. Well, another place in the world where the United States has been having high tensions is with Iran. How might a Biden administration handle high tensions with Iran over its nuclear and missile programs and even its regional strategy? That's a good question. So the Biden administration has been saying that it wants to re-enter the JCPOA, so that's the Iran nuclear deal, um, so long as Iran also um, also uh, reduces its level of uh, nuclear activity that has increased since the Trump administration left the, the JCPOA. Um, however, from a, a matter of practice, it's not clear how that would actually be implemented. 
Um, for example, um, the the Iranians have been saying that they will only re-enter the JCPOA after the U.S. does, whereas the U.S. would want to see um, progress on Iran uh, reducing its nuclear activities before giving any kind of a sanctions uh, uh, relief. So there's a sequencing issue there. Um, second, we also have uh, Iranian elections that are that are coming up in June of next year. Um, it's likely that a, a, a new administration in Iran will be a little bit more conservative or hardline than the current uh, Rouhani administration that was more moderate or, or reformist in organization. Um, so that will be a, a more difficult negotiating partner for the U.S. And third, a lot of the sunset clauses that were in the JCPOA, they're starting to expire. Already we had in October the um, UN arms uh, embargo against Iran expiring as a part of the JCUA. Uh, upcoming in 2023, there's another one that's coming up on uh, ballistic missiles. There's another one that's going to be coming up around enrichment issues. Um, and that's going to be something that the Biden administration is going to have to try to renegotiate or at least extend the deadlines on, uh, which means that Iran's going to be demanding more concessions in return. Um, so there's a lot of sticky issues that will be that are, that will probably prevent just a, a simple reentry into the uh, the nuclear deal by the United States. Uh, but that said, uh, we could see a very narrow, very small deal um, in, 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 in 2021 that could be something that the U.S. gives a little bit of sanctions relief, not full sanctions relief, in exchange, for example, for Iran to suspend or freeze um, enrichment levels at their current level um, and not necessarily continue with uh, increasing their activities. One of the things which definitely differentiated the U.S. presidential candidates during the election cycle was the U.S. Um, energy and climate policies. How might Joe Biden shift those going forward? That's a great question. So obviously the progressives in the Democratic Party wants to have a, a very aggressive, you know, the Green New Deal type of a program. But as we've seen from the election, if, if the Senate comes under the control of the Democratic Party, which in order to do that, they'll have to win both uh, potential runoffs in, in Georgia in, in early January. Um, that's going to really limit the options that, that Biden has in terms of using legislative action um, to, to, to promote any kind of a climate or energy policy. It's going to all have to really rely on executive action, uh, which narrows the scope and things like that. But through that, we can see things around, for example, the drilling in sensitive areas in Alaska. Um, we can see things around, for example emission standards for cars. Um, so there is some things that can happen. But really, since we're talking about a, a, a government that will, won't be entirely controlled by the Democratic Party, or if they do have the Senate majority, it's a very narrow one where most of the Senate seats they picked up were moderate seats. The, the aggressive nature in trying to put in that progressive energy policy agenda is not, just not going to be there. Also, though, we would see the United States re-entering the Paris Agreement under, under the Biden administration. The U.S. actually formally left that on November 4th, the day after the election, and we would also probably see climate-related issues start to pop up in other types of negotiations. For example, um, if we're talking about going back to the U.S.-China question, if there is a negotiation on a phase two trade deal between the two of them, um, we could see the Biden administration try to insert in more climate-related clauses into that trade deal. Hmm. Matthew Bay is Senior Global Analyst for Stratfor, a rain company. Thanks, Matthew. Thank you, Emily. You can learn more of Stratfor's intelligence and forecasting when you sign up for our newsletter. Visit worldview.stratfor.com. I'm Emily Donahue. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.